<laughs> so what I thought about talking about tonight is uh, the second and third step kind of together because I think they have a lot to do with faith. And uh, faith seems to be at, um, at odds with Buddhism. And that concept of God or higher power seems to be at odds with Buddhism. And, and actually... You know, I, uh, when I first came across the 12 steps, um, had a lot of trouble with this particular step. I didn't, I, the, the, well, these couple steps. The, the understanding of came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So I kind of understood the sanity insanity part, right? That my, because of my, uh, kind of my drug use and my alcohol use and my behavior and my thought patterns and my, you know, all of the stuff around my addiction that um, my life was pretty unmanageable. And because of it, I was pretty insane in my thinking process, in my behavior. I was able to kind of recognize that. But the reliance of a higher power um, was really a hard thing for me because I, you know, I had, like probably most of you, a, a God that was given to me. Uh, and, you know, and some was shoved down my throat. And was um, a God that uh, uh, judged and was, um, you know, I was born of sin and I needed to be absolved. And this God outside being, uh, you know, Santa Claus, you know, was the absolver of my sins. And that was hard for me to swallow, you know, especially... Uh, the fact that uh, there had been so many horrible things that had happened to me uh, in my childhood and whatnot that um, that a reliance on a, on this kind of whatever loving high or loving God was not really in my my uh, understanding. Um, so I struggled with it, but the term higher power allowed me to have a little bit of freedom to understand, and my sponsor had a little bit of uh, wisdom. And saying it can be whatever you want, and you know uh, the twelve steps is really good at that. About allowing some space there, it doesn't have to be, you know, this particular higher power. And then um, the the uh, the third step, you know, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of a higher power, as we understood him actually, but as we understood it, you know, is really more the way I look at it. And I'm going to focus a little bit on that tonight, you know, around. And how kind of and how Buddhism kind of comes to that too, um, because a higher power doesn't necessarily mean definitely not in the Buddhist perspective. Um, there's not a all-seeing, uh, super power being that is kind of keeping score of our pluses and our minuses. That that's not really uh, in the Buddhist uh, cosmology, although. Um, there is a God concept in Buddhism and it's not that big of a deal. It, you know, it's just not the, the focus. Um, but faith is. Yeah, there is a, with having faith. Uh, the difference, I think, is um, faith meaning uh, uh, verifiable faith. Something that can be trusted in or uh, seen or a refuge is really what's talked about a lot in the in the uh, in Buddhism and in the Buddhist perspective 
But let me just kind of give a little bit of background on, on the Buddha. Right? So the word Buddha means, you know, the one who has awakened. Uh, the one who has awakened to all-knowing wisdom. This is what the, what the word Buddha means. It doesn't mean God. It doesn't mean superior. Well, there is some like some language that says supreme awakening. Yeah. Um, but not celestial. Right? Human. Um, and there actually is a story that uh, up after the Buddha's awakening, uh, he, wa- he walked from the place of his awakening in uh, Bodh Gaya, or what was called Gaya at the time, to a place called uh, Sarnath, which is, actually I, I took a train from the two places, and it's quite a distance. Uh, but he kind of began to, to think about, okay, I've come to this awakening, I've come to this full awareness, and uh, debated on whether or not people would be able to get it. Whether or not he would be able to teach uh, people would understand. And then he, he saw through his mind's eye about people who may be, um, may be able to understand, comprehend the teaching. So he began to walk to where his, uh, his friends were, these five ascetics uh, that he had tra- uh, trained with for some time. And, um, and he thought, yeah, maybe they're closer to understanding than others. And on his way, uh, he came across these two travelers. And they were like, they saw him. And the Buddha, uh, the, you know, the story is that the Buddha uh, was bright and his very, very uh, clear complexion and kind of an aura of glowing peace and calm. And if you, if you ever in, uh, encounter monks or people who have been kind of on this spiritual path for a time, you, you notice exactly what I'm saying right away. Uh, and think about that times, you know, 200 or something, you know. Just there's kind of glowing power being, you know, of, of self, of, of, you know, just self-awakening. And so uh, these two travelers are looking at, at the Buddha as he's walking down this path. And, and they say, who, you know, what, what are you? Are you an angel? And the Buddha said, no, no, I'm not. So are you, uh, are you a god? And the Buddha said, no. No, I'm not. What, what, what are you? Are you a man? And he said, no. He said, then what are you? They were like, you know, perplexed. And he said, I'm awake. That's it. I'm awake. And they were like, huh? And then he kept walking. Because <laughs> they didn't really get it. So this uh, awakening, it, and, and the, the word Buddha, I think it's... Uh, you know, it... It, sometimes it gets morphed into kind of like Jesus Christ or, you know, a God concept. This is not the concept that I um, have incorporated. Um, but some people do. Yeah, even Buddhists in Asia, for sure, uh, see a statue and it's like going into a Catholic church and seeing a saint, and, you know. And it, it, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, the Buddha actually opposed it, but uh, there was no statues uh, no symbolism of uh, Buddhism until about 300 years after the Buddha's death. So, um, you know, give or take, 300, 400. It's a little, little foggy as to when it actually began to happen. So, so, so the Buddha often opposed strict class systems. 
uh, especially the elite class of Brahmins who position themselves in places of power and authority in government and religion um, and in kind of what the classically known as the Hinduism of the time that the Buddha was really opposed to that uh, he was uh, he was a rebel in that way he, he was he was rebellious against strict class systems he, that he, he um, he was really concerned and propelled with the questions of birth, death, sickness, old age, and suffering. That was it. And often he would just say, like, you know, when people would ask him, what, what does he teach? And, you know, what's his, what's his uh, you know, his shtick? You know, what's his, his doctrine? And he would say, suffering and the end of suffering. This is what I teach. Nothing else. Because to him, nothing else mattered. And really, to me, nothing else matters, which is why I kind of uh, have resonated with the, with the Buddhist teachings for so long. So, uh, Siddhartha Gautama, which is the, the Buddha-to-be, you know, he never really settled on uh, accepting other teachings or, um, he, or teachers. You know, he always kind of looked for what was true for himself. And he would constantly say that. He would give a teaching and then he would say, you know, but find out for yourself, you know, what is true. He, uh, he had a, a reverence for truth. And so Dharma, right? the word Dharma means truth, yeah? truth in nature. It also means uh, the, the, the teachings of the Buddha uh, that the Buddha kind of uh, rediscovered, actually. It's a... Uh, a noble truth that had been rediscovered by the Buddha. Not he was it wasn't his original idea, you know. Um, but through effort and practice, uh, he came to this this awakening of freedom and understanding. So the the Buddha rebelled against his own mind, yeah, his own conditioning, his thoughts, his body, his perceptions, that. He even sat in rebellion against the attack of Mara, also known as the hindrances, yeah. the um, the things that get in the way of our of our of our own awakening, our own spiritual enlightenment, if you will. So his defiant nature and the power to question was a quality that I believe led to his departure into homelessness and to awakening to begin with. That this kind of rebellious nature, this kind of questioning what's true uh, is, is part of the, the, I think, the effort. The effort that I think we all actually have you know, when we kind of come out of, like in the program they talk about the uh, moment of clarity. You know, where we realize, I can't do this anymore. This isn't working for me. And, I, they be, and we begin to kind of look out at other options. What else is out there that can relieve me of suffering? Because booze and drugs and people and sex and food isn't doing it anymore. It's actually just making things worse. So this is a, a, a way in which kind of I see the connection. So the Buddha, after his enlightenment, uh, enlightenment offered his teachings to everyone without exception, right? Uh, he, he taught about the acts of generosity and loving kindness as an antidote to greed and hatred. 
He taught that the practice of present time awareness will deliver us from a delusion and uh, from the delusion of life and into the light of the dharmas, into the light of the truth. And actually, there's this great quote in the uh, in the big book that just came to me um, about uh, uh, stepping out of the shadow and into the light. That when we have that moment of clarity, when we when we have there's some uh, awakening that takes place through working the twelve steps, um, that we're, we're we're moving out of the shadow and and into the light, into the light of truth, or out of darkness into light. So all were welcome to uh, receive teachings from the Buddha. All were welcome, which was another against the kind of uh, religious hierarchy of the time where only Brahmins or wealthy people could receive uh, blessings and be absolved of sin, right? That uh, women, poor, beggars, uh, gay, people who are gay, uh, all they were not welcome. Even um, mentally ill, rich, kids, all were welcome. All one needed was the desire to wake up and practice what he taught. Right? To go against the stream. To go against the greed, hatred, and ignorance that is so rampant in our minds and in our societies. Right? At, true at the time of the Buddha and true today. So it is, it is this rebellious nature that I uh, believe is pointed to in what's called the Kalama Sutta, which I kind of spoke to earlier. So in short, it says, you know, do not believe something because you've, you've heard it uh, before, because it's an old tradition, because it's written in religious or other books, because superficially it seems true, because logically or philosophically it seems true. Because teachers or elders say it is true, even famous ones. The Buddha told the Kalama people, only believe something that you yourself have experienced. That that you yourself have experienced the happiness of a practice or that it leads to the relief of suffering in your own life and in the life of others. Trust your own experience. Find freedom through clear seeing of the Dharma. Through your own direct experience. So in some ways this is kind of a bummer. Right? It means there's no magic wand. Um, there's no... Uh, if you eat a little cracker... It's gonna... I'm, I'm not trying to bag on it. I'm just saying. like there, it, There's some truth there that, that taking an external source isn't necessarily going to relieve you of suffering. Is really what the Buddha is pointing to. You know? That trust in your own experience. Yeah. And through your own practice and your own effort. Which is kind of a bummer. Because I don't know about you, but I kind of want the quick fix. You know? I was in a six uh, month Christian based rehabilitation center. And I had, you know, went to church three days a week and was told that I had to be saved and relieved of all my sins to, I had to bow down to this person who was holding a book. And I did it. Reluctantly, but I did it just in case because you never know. (laughs) And it was my ticket out of the rehab. I had to be saved in order to leave. 
So having verifiable faith is not blind faith, which I think in a lot of the, uh, um, what would it be, kind of theistic uh, uh, religions, um, really kind of really require to have a blind faith. And the thing that attracted me to Buddhism is that is this teaching, you know, to have verifiable faith based on your own experience. But you have to try it. Yeah, you have to. You have to be involved. Yeah, you have to really kind of give in to the teaching, to the practice. Um. So this kind of leads a little bit into the the concept of a higher power. Yeah, uh, the having verifiable faith is hard to do with some kind of supreme power being. And so Buddhism talks about the refuges, the three, the, the triple gem, right, which is known as the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And I think that this is really where uh, this kind of the, the faith in what can be seen uh, is really present. Yeah. So the Buddha right, uh, is not faith in um, in just the Buddha, the man who was a prince who awo- who awakened. To this truth, and and uh, uh, bowing to him, and 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 kind of revering him, although that happens, and there's nothing wrong with a little reverence to someone who awakens to a powerful path to freedom. But really, the Buddha even pointed to um, it's really about the awakening that is within you, the possibility, having the faith in the possibility of your own awakening. Verified through uh, the Buddha and countless others from the time of the Buddha to today, which is really the Sangha, the community of monks, of nuns, of teachers, of people who have gone before, who you can look at and see, have relieved suffering in their lives, have um, achieved levels of peace and understanding. Knowledge, wisdom. You know, His Holiness the Dalai Lama is someone who I see as, and also like Thich Nhat Hanh, people who I see as verifiable. You know, I can have faith that that His Holiness the Dalai Lama is uh, pretty awake, yeah, pretty peaceful. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, I can also look in, and so it's important to have these kind of symbols, you know, these people, these. Uh, Others, this community, and then in our tradition, uh, you know, Ajahn Chah, Ajahn Samedo, our, our uh, Ajahn Amaro, who is you know a direct descendant of these people that I just kind of spoke, or direct disciple rather, uh, a long lineage of people who are awake, Ajahn Mun. These are all just names you may not even know or care about, but they are verifiable people who I have I have seen or heard about or read about their um, their awakening, yeah? their their relief of suffering. You know, Jack Cornfield, Mary Grace Orr, you know, even Noah Levine in his insanity. He's freer than me. You know, these are people that I can look to for refuge. Yeah. But ultimately, they, they just carry the message of, of the uh, uh, possibility of my own awakening, my own uh, relief of suffering. 
So I think that is what's really talked about in, in, in uh, this understanding of the triple gem having uh, uh, having a place of refuge. Ajahn Samedo, uh, uh, a great uh, American, one of the first American Thai forest monks, talks about um, actually having refuge only in awareness. That awareness can carry it all. Uh, awareness is um, is the, the the one kind of true refuge. It's not created. It's just there. So whether that's higher power um, or whether it's that uh, uh, belief in your own awakening, your own possibility, which you've all tapped into. Otherwise, why would you be here? Right? Or you want to, and you've seen from others, or you read a book, there's some amount of kind of faith. So the other is the Dharma. Yeah. The Dharma being, like I've said, the truth, the teaching, the path. Uh, one of my favorite translations of, of Dharma is the truth in nature. And if you spend any time in nature, then you can feel, you can resonate with the peace that is present. Some, I heard a, uh, a teacher say, uh, nature is such a good teacher for us because uh, nature has been on retreat and in meditation for thousands of years. And so when you, and you can feel it when you walk into a forest, you know, there is a, there's a heaviness and a calming uh, quality that I've kind of experienced. So and then so I already spoke a little bit about the sangha. So these are kind of three examples of of of, of what we can take refuge in: yeah. the Buddha, the our own potential, or the the seeing the verifiable uh, uh, proof that it's possible to relieve suffering through others. Yeah. This is true in the program too. When we go into the programs, you go to meetings. And you you know you're struggling, and you see someone who has like ten years and a sponsor, and they're chairing a meeting, and there's like wow, and then maybe you know them, right? That's happened to me before, where I like see someone who I knew, and they were really bad, you know, like way worse than me, and they did it. That's some verifiable faith, you know. But wow, maybe the twelve steps do work, you know. Maybe uh, maybe recovery is possible. And the truth, you know. Uh, and I said last week, don't take anything that is talked about here as ultimate truth, right? Again, find out for yourself. And I also even said, don't take anything that is uh, said in 12-step meetings as ultimate truth, right? You have to work the program to find out for yourself. But the, 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 the path, you know, the, the, the path, I think, is what's important. Whether it's the path of Buddhism or the path of the 12 steps. They, they, they both have a, a main theme of relief of suffering yeah. through uh, spiritual seeking, through looking within. You know, As next week, we'll kind of begin to look at uh, the fourth and fifth and sixth step, actually. I'm just going to kind of Bring those together. Maybe just the four. I'm not sure. Yeah, fourth, fifth, and sixth. I don't know. I'll figure it out. But to talk about and how how 
these also can be um, things within Buddhism. It's clear. The connections are clear. So just to kind of broaden this out a little bit, um, one of the, you know, I had a really hard time, like I said, with the concept of a higher power and the freedom within the 12 steps and then the freedom actually even within Buddhism to find what works for you, find your, you know, what's true, uh, allowed me to keep going. Yeah. So on both ends, the reason why I'm kind of t- giving this talk in this way is to not let it be a hindrance. The idea of having to, having to have this God, this God concept. You know, for some people it's helpful. I personally, I couldn't look within. I didn't think that I had what it took. I felt like I was so damaged and so unworthy that I didn't have that gem of loving kindness, that original goodness within me when I first started kind of looking at uh, the program and at Buddhism. I couldn't, I couldn't look within. So I had to look outside for a time to get some, some uh, verifiable faith and to build some self-worth. Right? You know, so I, I, had, I chose the stars because they were always there day or night. Chose the ocean because it was way bigger than me and I didn't know where it ended or where it began. These were like my concepts as I was working through the years of, of um, you know, concepts of a higher power. Yeah. And then later kind of coming to hearing that the Dharma is truth in nature and it made perfect sense, you know. That that's kind of where I was looking, and all that that was all those things were doing was reflecting back to me that I have that same spacious awareness within me. So some of the concepts that I um, have kind of uh, adopted, and I just want to put out there for you, is the law of cause as a as concepts of of a higher power. You can you know choose to explore them or not. The law of cause and effect. This is kind of the Dharma of nature. The law of cause and effect. The law of impermanence. That which arises passes away. Karma. Karma is the, the, that through my own uh, virtuous or not virtuous action, um, I will reap rewards or, or difficulties. True whether you believe it or not. One of the one of the ways that I, I, I looked at uh, God, the G O D, is good orderly direction, which to me was really helpful because it actually aligns with karma. It aligns with the law of cause and effect for me. Well, these are just some of the ideas that I've kind of, you know, worked with and played with over the years. So the second and third step, yeah, you know, just continuing to have awareness of this. Uh, and to not stop there, right? But to keep practicing, right? That you don't have to bow to a Buddha statue. You know, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. <laughs> you know? And often uh, you'll see people put their hands together and bow at the end or at the beginning or as a 
a way of kind of thanking people I've noticed. And uh, the way I've heard that described, well, there's numerous ways. But in Buddhism, the way it's described is I bow to um, your practice. I bow to the practice. I bow to the Dharma. That which arises through our practice. You know, When I have a difficult practice and, and it's been challenging and my mind is out of control, I bow to that. You know, I see you. I'm not denying it. And when I have a really great practice, a really great meditation, it all comes together and I feel like I'm floating and I'm happy and there's joy. And I bow to that too. You know, that's just a personal thing. Again, just my, just kind of just my thoughts. You know? There's more kind of lineage stuff about it where, you know, you bow to someone who is a monk because you're, you're actually bowing to the, the, the robes, to the, the, the sangha, the carrying on of the truth, the living uh, in the just way or in the, uh, the purified kind of way. All right, so that's plenty. That's plenty. So let's um. Oh.